Today, I want to dive a little bit deeper into the topic of let's talk. Can you say that with me? Let's talk. Let's talk. First thing I want to say this. I want to encourage you today. Just like the last time I spoke, I began to minister to you how Jesus came to us, how we were once separated from him, but now he has drawn us close. Where once at a distance we heard thunder, but now close we have heard the whisper of God. I want you to know this, and I want you to take this down in your heart, that Jesus has overcome the world. All anxiety, all fear, all panic, everything that may be laid on your shoulders right now in this moment, it needs to fall off with that one statement. Jesus has overcome all. He said it himself, I have overcome the world. He has overcome all things. So take heart if this is your first time hearing the gospel or if you've been listening to the gospel for 30 to 40 years, that needs to inspire you and that needs to give you hope today that you don't have to live. You don't have to live in panic. You don't have to live below. You can live in joy and peace. Can you say that today? I will have peace. I will have peace. Jesus has overcome the world. But I want you to, to, to recognize this. In the world, you're not going to find your answer. In this world, we see all the time on the news, there is no forgiveness. Everything that Jesus is in the world, it's opposite. In the world, there is no forgiveness. Matter of fact, we've created a society now that you would be thrown aside and wiped of any good work that you've done, even if it's not true. But Jesus is not like the world. He has overcome the world. He has brought light to the world that was in darkness. He has overcome the world, and he is today. Can you say today? Today, he is saying, come to me. I am not like this world. I am full of forgiveness. The world is dark. The world is full of unforgiveness. The world has no hope. But Jesus says, come to me. I am your hope. I have forgiven you, and with me comes mercy and power. Today, I want to just encourage you, and I want to take you through the Word of God, and I want to give you a foundation so that when you ever doubt, you can think on, this, on these things, and it give you hope because you say, I understand what Jesus has done for me. In John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, it says this about Jesus. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, says Jesus, rivers of living water. Can you say rivers? Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. You've got to capture this example. You've got to see this in your mind, that a river will actually flow from you. Get that. Say that with me. A river will flow from me. Jesus says this. Rivers of living water will flow from your heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. You've got to believe but the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered his glory. He had yet been crucified. He had yet risen on the third day. He had yet entered into his father's place. 
The Holy Spirit had yet come down, but he was speaking of a moment that would come. But how many of you know that we're living in a day that the Spirit has come? And if you believe, he is saying, in your, in your heart will flow rivers. You don't have to be dry, church. God has given you rivers of living water. You're not waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Word of God declares this in the Old Testament too, 700 years before Jesus would complete this work and what would happen on that day when we would receive the Holy Spirit. Watch this. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19 through 21, if you have your word, you can follow along with me. It says this, speak God speaking, for I'm about to do something new. I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness and I will create rivers. Can you say rivers? I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Okay, let's do this. John chapter seven, rivers of living water will flow from where? My heart. In Isaiah, he prophesies it and he says, I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The dry wasteland was you, but no longer you because he's now produced rivers coming from you to make a pathway through the wilderness. He says, and the wild animals in the fields will thank me, the jackals and the owls too, for giving them water in a desert place. Yes, again, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland. So my chosen people, that's you. Can you say that's me? I want you to receive that and have hope and joy and peace today. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. I have made Israel for myself, and you are a spiritual Israel. You are that holy nation now through Jesus Christ. I have made Israel for myself. I have made you for myself, and they will someday honor me before the world. I want you to take that last line there and remember it. And they will someday honor me before the whole world. But that day is here. That, that time has come and the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ has completed that work. The Holy Spirit is here with us. Rivers are available. The new is here. The someday has come. 700 years later, Jesus completes this word for all who believe. This is that time when the church will arise and shine the light for all to see. We will honor God before the world. To honor him by declaring in word and action what he has done, what he has completed. We were a dead people. We were a dry wasteland. We were defeated, disconnected from life, wasting away, and the ground of our hearts were dry and cracked. We were destined to be destroyed and destroy anything that came near us. We were a wasteland. And we were thirsty for water. No matter what, under our own strength, nothing would produce. You couldn't do it on your own. You were a dry wasteland. You were good for nothing. You were a desert wilderness. Nothing would produce in your ground. But God had an answer for this. God had an answer for you. God had an answer for me. And now life has come. And his name is Jesus. And this life, his name is Jesus. This life is declared, come to me and believe, and I will give you rest from the heat. Come to me, I will give you water. I will make rivers in your heart. I will make what was once dead bring life. 
Church, Jesus doesn't just send water down from a distance. Jesus isn't just sitting on his heavenly throne out there in space somewhere, sending down good things. He doesn't just send water down from a distance to bring help from above. He has come. He has come right to where you are and he creates you. Can you say me? He creates you into something new and life-giving. Can you see this in the scripture? He doesn't just bring water down from heaven. He says, I'm going to spring forth water from you. I'm going to create you into something new. I'm going to make within you a well of, of, of a river of living water. I'm going to create a path through the wilderness. He has come right to where you are, and he creates you into something new and life-given. His spirit comes and creates within you a river of life. What was old and barren, you got to understand this, church, what was old and barren now is made new and springs life. The ground of your life will spring forth a river, and those who are dry can find the way to come and drink. That they too can spring up into life. God doesn't want to just do something for his church. He wants to, he says, I got other sheep out here. I want to draw them into the sheepfold too. And he wants to do this work through you. So church, this is that time to honor God before the world. This is that time to honor Jesus before the whole world, to show there is one way through the wilderness. Show the world I was once lost, but now I have the way. I was a wasteland, destined for destruction, never to produce, but now I'm alive in Christ. In the New Testament, to everyone through Jesus, you are a holy nation. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants. Long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into your salvation. There's a process to you becoming. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, come to me and drink. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, you were chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones. Come on, we talked about this a few weeks ago. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Come on, we talked about the house of God being built up as a spiritual house or in another translation, a spiritual temple. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You will not be put to shame, church. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those that do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone a stone of stumbling, a rock of, def- of offense. If you stay disconnected, what once brings life, you're going to stumble over him because he's out in front of you. He's not a part of you. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But here we go, church. This is what we're getting to. But you were a chosen race. I've built you up into a spiritual temple, a spiritual house. You were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and you are a holy nation. Come on, Israel's not the thing. You are now a holy nation. He's made us complete. He's made one people for one purpose. There is only one nation now under God. That is us. He says, you are a people of my own possession. Now watch this, because what did we read in the scripture before? 
It says that we will someday honor God before the whole world. First Peter, watch this. We are a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He doesn't just transform you into something for nothing. He transforms you into something to produce honor and glory and bring those that see the light of God out of darkness into his marvelous light. Watch, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The writer is talking about you. You have this promise in Jesus. You're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a people of his own possession. You are a spiritual temple. But he says, this temple must honor me before the world. This temple must call people out of darkness into my marvelous light. This temple, this people, this holy nation must proclaim and honor me before the world. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. In Ezekiel Chapter 36, let's, let's talk more about the wasteland. Let's get a little bit more understanding of, of what he's done so we can just have some more joy. I think it's beautiful, the word of God. Let's talk about this wasteland and what God has done. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 33 through 36. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When I cleanse you from your sins, have you been cleansed from sins? Well, Jesus died on the cross as your, your Lord and Savior. Okay, well, this is... This is, what is this, like 400 years before the cross? He says, when I do it, but he has done it. When I cleanse you from your sins, I will repopulate your cities and the ruins will be rebuilt. Come on, there's a wasteland. You once were a wasteland. You once were ruins. But he said in 1 Peter, I've built you up into a spiritual house. I've, take, I've taken that stone of rejection that was laying down, that was separate, disconnected, good for nothing. I've built it into something. Come on, he's prophesying this in Ezekiel. I will repopulate your cities and the ruins will be rebuilt. Watch this. The fields that used to lie empty and desolate, the wasteland, the fields that used to lie empty and desolate in plain view of everyone. People are watching your life. People are watching this wasteland of yours. The fields that used to lie empty and desolate in plain view of everyone will again be farmed. He said, I'm going to take what was desolate that everyone's watching and I'm going to make you bring forth a harvest. So that all that we'll see will, will glorify God. I'm going to show the world something. Come on, he's, he's prophesying it. The field that used to lie empty and desolate and plain view of everyone will again be farmed. You were that field. Now watch this. John 15, we're going to go back and forth for a second. John 15, verse 8. When you, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Come on, he said, you're a field in plain view, but I'm going to produce a harvest in you. John 15, Jesus says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. To what? That you produce. People are watching you. It's time to produce. It's time to be an example, church. Come on. We need to come out of the old and into the new. Now let's go back up. Ezekiel chapter 36. We're right where we, we left off. And when I bring you back, people will say, there it is. People are watching. People will say this former wasteland is now like the Garden of Eden. Is that good? good. 
Are you catching what I'm talking about? This is the prophecy of the word. The word. I, I'm, I'm building this for you. The former wasteland, that was us, dead, desolate, dry, cracked, not producing. He said, I'm going to transform it. When my spirit comes, when you receive salvation, when I cleanse you from my sins through my son, the former wasteland is now like the Garden of Eden, now like my perfect place. But that perfect place is now within you. Are you seeing this, church? Now, let's go back down. John 15, Jesus said, yes, I am the vine. That vine is within you. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He has now placed that tree of life within you, and he's connected you to himself. And he says, you are my branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, there it is, the garden in them, I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do this on your own. Without me, you're still a wasteland. Without me, you're still dry and thirsty. But in me, you have life. In me, you have rivers. In me, you have all things. Our garden is sown in you. The way, truth, and life is planted in your ground. And the river of his spirit renews and waters the garden just as the rivers did in the beginning in Genesis. Go back and read Genesis and, and, and understand how the rivers, how it watered the garden. It's all, God does everything perfectly. Now let's go back up, Ezekiel, right where we left off. This former wasteland is like a garden of Eden. The abandoned and ruined cities now have strong walls. You have strong walls and are filled with people. That speaks of being able to draw people into his rest. Then the surrounding nations that will survive will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruins and I have replanted the wasteland. For I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do what I say. Come on, church. I'm trying to produce joy in you. I'm trying to give you something, some hope, because I'm trying to show you he prophesied it. He did it in Jesus hundreds of years later, and he says, I will do what I say. It's available to you. Receive it. When you're sitting there home alone, anxiety, feeling dry, it doesn't have to be that way. God has done something new. He said, look and see if I, I'm doing something new. Don't you see it? That's what he said in scripture. We see that God has rebuilt the ruins into a spiritual house, a temple. He's given water and sown seed into the dry wasteland to bring a harvest of the kingdom. In Mark chapter four, Jesus declares this about the seed of his kingdom. Come on, I, I, I don't have hours to go take you through every little scripture, but if you have any kind of wisdom, you can go through this thing and see how beautiful and structured this is. He talks about the seed of his kingdom. We now are to bring rest to the weary, a light to the lost. We honor him in the life and how we live his life that he sacrificed for us. He died my death. He took on my wasteland that I could take on his garden. Man, that's a quotable right there. He, he took on my wasteland so I could become his garden. It's good. We honor him in the and how we live his life. We are known by our fruit or we are known by the lack of our fruit. People are, are looking at you. They're watching you. We say we're Christians. We say one day one thing, and then we come back and say on another day another thing. And people are watching you. They're, they're reading what you're writing. They're, they're watching your example. We come to the altar. We get prayed for. We do the thing. I'm free. We come back next week. Well, Bishop, I just don't understand. 
What is this? Do you have one foot in the grave, one foot in life? Are you still a wasteland? What has happened? I'm trying to bring you hope, though. Jesus has brought you new, but you got to believe. I got to receive. The world needs to see this truth. But how if we're still dry and thirsty? But you need to rejoice, church. He's done a new thing. You can receive it. Know who Jesus is and what he's done for you. You don't ever have to be dry again. This should bring great joy and peace to you today. It doesn't have to be the way it is. You don't have to go with the flow of the world. He's overcome it. Just believe in Jesus. It's that simple. Just believe. Believe in who he is. Believe in the work that he's done. Believe. And I believe I'm going to reveal some details that will help you today. I'm going to go through this quickly because I know our time's short. But I believe this is good. I believe someone's waking up today. I want to show you something in the word of God that excited me that I just saw. It's, it's good. Jesus often called himself the son of man. He was both the son of man and son of God. What does that mean? He was fully man, fully God. We see here in Luke chapter 22, in the moment of betrayal by Judas, one of the many times Jesus calls himself the son of man. Luke chapter 22, verse 48. And Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? So we see Jesus calls himself the son of man, but he also is the son of God. In Mark chapter one, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, fully God, fully man. I needed to lay that foundation so we can have some understanding. Now let's continue. We were in Ezekiel 36. Let's go to the next chapter and see what God says about his promises for us. We're going to see a parallel here between Ezekiel for Israel as a type and shadow of Jesus for all who now believe in him. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 15 through 28. I'm building hope. I'm building joy of what God has done through you. It's easy just to come and say, well, Jesus has, has done this. Well, that's quick. And it's true. But I'm giving you some foundation so you understand why you, you believe what you believe. Ezekiel chapter 37. Again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man. God's speaking to Ezekiel. But it's the parallels, Jesus, right? Son of man, take a piece of wood. I got a piece of wood here. Take a piece of wood and carve on it these words. This represents Judah and its allied tribes. And he says, then take another piece of wood, son of man. Take another piece, Ezekiel chapter 37, 15 through 28. And take another piece. And carve these words on it. This represents Ephraim and the northern tribes of Israel. Put your bookmark there. I'm going to show you why that's important to us. I'm going to show you how he turned the wasteland into a garden. This is wonderful. So what does Judah have to do with anything? Why did he say take a one stick and write? This represents Judah. When Hebrews chapter 7 it says our Lord came from the tribe of Judah. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, it says, But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne. He has won the victory. He, Jesus, is worthy to open the scroll of the seven seals. Pretty good, huh? But he says, Take this other stick and write on it this. Come on, this is like 300 years before the cross. 
He says, take this other stick and write on it. This represents Ephraim. Now, speaking about all you who believe, Romans chapter 8, on this stick, watch, Romans chapter 8. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you. Can you say, I'm adopted? You once were, a, a, you once were no people, but now you're God's children. You've, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Can you say, I'm an heir of God? In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. That's scripture I'm reading to you. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Well, what does that have to do with Ephraim? I'm setting it up so you understand who Ephraim is. Ephraim was the second son of Joseph and the grandson of Jacob. Yes, that Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the lineage of the father of faith, Father Abraham. And Jacob, speaking to Joseph, he now does something very important. Watch, we just read Romans 8, but watch what happens in Genesis chapter 48. He said to me, I will make you a fruitful. Come on, haven't we been talking about that? I will make you fruitful and I will multiply your descendants. I will make you a, multi a multitude of nations. A multitude of nations, church made up of many members, one holy nation. Okay. I will make you a multitude of nations, and I will give this land of Canaan to your descendants after you, you as an everlasting possession. Now I am adopting as my own sons these two boys of yours. I'm adopting. Come on. Jacob representing God, the, our father. I'm, I'm adopting these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born in the land of Egypt. Egypt always speaks of a land of slavery. Before I arrived, they will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are. But any children born to you in the future will be your own, Joseph, and they will inherit the land within the territories of their brothers, Ephraim and Manasseh. Let's move on. Watch this. He adopted Jacob now adopts Ephraim. Watch what Jacob now does in Genesis chapter 48. Then Jacob said to Joseph, I've never thought I'd see your face again, but now God has, sent, has let me see your children too. Joseph moved the boys to wear, to wear at their grandfather's knees, and he bowed his face to the ground. He then positioned the boys in front of Jacob, and with his right hand, he directed Ephraim toward Jacob's left hand, and with his left hand, he put Manasseh, at Jacob's right hand, but Jacob crossed his arms. Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay his hand on the boy's head. He put his right hand on Ephraim, though he was the younger boy. Jacob adopts Ephraim, but now places his right hand of blessing upon Ephraim. Right hand speaks of my heir, taking on the blessing the power, the authority, and the strength. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of faith, God's nation, he's showing something. He put his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God, may the God before whom my, my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, 
to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May he, they preserve my name and the name of Abraham and Isaac. May their descendants, this is talking about you, may their descendants multiply great throughout the earth. But Joseph was upset, didn't like this. Joseph was upset when he saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. So Joseph lifted his hand off of his head to move it from Ephraim's head to the other boy's head. No, my father, this is, the, this is my firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. He, he deserves the heir. But his father refused. I know, my son, I know, he replied. Manasseh will also become a great people, but his younger brother, watch, but his younger brother will become even greater. Watch, he's talking about us. His younger brother will become even greater and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. This is us. This was fulfilled. We saw that. God, our father, has adopted us. Genesis and Jacob was a type and shadow of what God would now do in us. He has anointed us. He has made us heirs of God. We read all of this already. Let's go back and let's end. Are you enjoying this? I know it's a lot to, t- I know it's a lot to take in. But the word of God, uh, you can't change it. It is what it is. Ezekiel chapter 37. He says, son of man, take a piece of wood and carve on it, Judah. And he says, take another piece and carve on it, Ephraim. He says, this represents Judah. This one represents Ephraim. And continuing on on in that same chapter, Ezekiel 37, 15 through 28, he says, now hold them together in your hand as if they were one piece of wood. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Hold them together as as if they were one piece of wood. And when your people ask, he's talking to the son of man. Who's the son of man? Jesus so when the people ask of your, what your actions meant, what the holding together of the, the pieces of wood meant, when people ask what your actions mean, son of man, tell them this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take Ephraim and the northern tribes and I will join them to Judah and I will make them one piece of wood in my hand. I will make them one piece of wood in my hand. You see that? He says this, son of man, then hold out the pieces of wood that you have inscribed so that all people can see it. I'm reading scripture hundreds of years before the cross. Then hold out the pieces of wood you have inscribed so that all the people can see it and give them this message from the sovereign Lord. I will gather the people of Israel Holding it out, this is what he says. I will gather the people of Israel from, a, from among the nations. I will bring them home. That man makes me cry. I will bring them home to their own land from the place where they have been scattered. I will unify them into one nation. I will unify them on one nation on the mountain of Israel. Where was Jesus crucified? On, on a hill? On the mountain in Israel? Yeah. I will unify them in one nation on the mountain of Israel. One king will rule them all. Tell them this, no longer will they be divided into two nations or into two kingdoms. They will never again pollute themselves with their idols and vile images and rebellion. For I will save them from their sinful apostasy. I will cleanse them. Then they will truly be my people and I will be their God 
and my servant David will be their king. Who is the heir of David? Jesus. He's speaking of Jesus. My servant David, Jesus will be their king, and they will have one shepherd. That's Jesus. They will have one shepherd. They will obey my regulations and be careful to keep my decrees. Church, he wrote them, Hebrews chapter 10, he wrote his decrees on your heart. They will live in the land I, I gave my servant Jacob, the land their ancestors live, and, and they, their children, and their grandchildren after them will live there forever, generation after generation. And my servant David will be their prince forever, their prince forever, and I will make a covenant of peace with them. But Jesus, church, is that covenant. In Isaiah chapter 9, they call Jesus the prince of peace. Jesus has made that covenant of peace with you. He is your prince and king forever. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant. I will bring them their land and increase their numbers, and I will put my temple among them forever. Who's the temple? He's built you into the temple, and I will put my temple among them forever. First Peter, you are that spiritual temple. He says, I will make my home among them. Why? Because we're a house. I will make my home among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And when my, and when my temple is among them forever, the nation will know, the nations will know, the nations will know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Did I read you're a holy nation? Church, this is it. This is the, this is the close. He says, son of man, Jesus, he said, what I want you to do is I want you to take this. I want you to extend the cross. Now to us, church, he says, extend the cross for all to see. Declare what God has done for you by this cross. And if someone asks you what this means, you tell them what God has done for you this day. You tell them that you once were a wasteland, but now you have rivers of life. You tell them that you were once dead, but you are now living. Your life should tell the story of the cross. Not a story of a dead, defeated church. Not a story of a church that's full of anxiety. Not a church that comes in that's segregated and defeated the moment they walk into the church. But he says, when people see you, show them. Show them what I've done this day. Show them how I've made you holy. Show them how I've made you one. I've connected you to my vine. You are no longer separate from me. I've made you a kingdom. I've made you a temple. I've made you a house for my name. Church, I read it in the beginning, but you have to remember he prophesied someday a people will come and honor me before the world. This is that day, and this is how. By declaring what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. So we end as we begin. John 16, verse 31. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Church, I laid it out for you. Do you now believe? Verse 33, Jesus speaking, I've said these things that in me, in me, in me, in me, you will have peace. But in the world, you will have tribulation. The world's dry, but in me, you will have water. In me, you will have peace. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. He did it. Church, I want to pray with you. Father, we thank you for this day. You're a mighty, you're a strong, you're more than enough. God, I thank you that your word is so clever, so pure, so, so infinite. God, that, that if anyone would try to, to, to fall or to wonder, God, your, your word declares and shows 
every way of how excellent you are. Father, I thank you that right now, if anyone is hurting in their mind or their heart, God, that you reveal what you have done and that they receive the river, that they no longer be dry, but they begin to produce fruit. God, that you show them that that you're creating them into something new. All they got to do is receive and believe and hold on to the promise. God, we thank you for this day. And I declare healing. I declare truth. God, I declare peace because you've done it, Jesus. Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for, for making us one as you and the Father are one. I thank you, God. I thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Church, thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to like and share. And hey, join us in person. We meet every Sunday at 10, 15 a.m. We want to see you here in the house. We love you. Thank you.